This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs is brought to you by Heroes for Healthy Pets. We're passionate about your pet's health and iHeartDogs.com. Hey, dog lovers. Welcome to Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Prim, and I'm a small animal veterinarian and passionate dog lover. So as a veterinarian and as a practicing veterinarian that sees patients every day, I get a lot of questions from clients about how to know when it's time to say goodbye to our beloved dogs. And it's a journey that we all experience and we all kind of need help. So today I have with me Dr. Sharib Buisson, who is a hospice veterinarian, and it is her passion to guide dog lovers through making these hard choices. And we're going to talk about five ways to know when it is time to say goodbye. So we're going to get a quick word from our sponsors and come right back with Dr. Buisson. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite is nutrition. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops. Get the third bottle free. New improved Lico Chops with omega-3, omega-6, vitamin E. And now, six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Lico Chops. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs on Pet Life Radio. So, Dr. Buisson is with me today to talk about five ways to know when it is time to say goodbye. Welcome, Dr. Buisson. Hi, it's great to be here. You know, I always love coming to talk to you about our furry canine patients. Well, I love having you and I love the area that you are passionate about, not because it's particularly, I don't know, wonderful, but because it happens to all of us that love animals. They just don't live long enough. So if you love a dog, you're going to reach the end of their life. And I want to provide some guidance for people out there that are listening. And I want to explore some of the ways to know when it is time to say goodbye. So what do you think is number one way to start to know it might be time? So the first thing that is so important, and this is important not just for when it's time, but for for any kind of problem with your dog, is to know what their normal behavior is and know when there are changes. Pets don't often give us big signs that something is wrong. Sometimes they just stop doing the things that bother them. And we don't really notice because we see them every day or we're really busy. My dachshund who had cognitive dysfunction, which is, you know, doggy Alzheimer's, he was sleeping something like 22 or 23 hours a day. But it happened so gradually that even though I work from home, I just didn't notice because it it, it just crept up on me. And one day I was actually home and he hadn't moved the entire day that I was working from home. And I thought, wow, that's really weird. And then it kind of clicked in. Oh, gosh, he's been sleeping so much. And I just didn't realize it. 
Yeah, and it does sneak up because they're right there and they're with you and you're busy. And and so I always advise my clients to really pay attention and be really tuned in to what's going on and not to hide their head in the sand because they kind of know that these are important questions. So yes, changes. Yes, and also changes for dogs, especially if they're dogs that go for a walk or get let out in the backyard. If you notice that those walks are getting shorter or they're getting tired faster, or they're not as eager to, to get their leash or their harness put on. Those are all signs of, that can be signs of pain. Those can be signs of breathing difficulty. If they're, they're suddenly panting when they're indoors and the AC is on, and that doesn't make any sense. Anything new or different is worth getting checked out. That's often the way that we find diseases early is when we pay attention to any changes that they have. So if someone out there has a dog that has been diagnosed with a terminal disease and they know and they're on this journey, what do you think might be some other things besides noticing some subtle changes like changes in appetite? What else do you think they might want to watch for? So I have kind of my five things that are quality of life issues that are kind of bare minimum for quality of life. And those are we want them to eat. We don't want them to vomit that food up. We want them clean and dry. We don't want them to be in pain. We don't want them to be anxious or afraid. And then beyond that, we want them to still love and hate all the things they usually love and hate. And they need to have more good days than bad. So that's kind of my bare minimum for quality of life in pets. And so when we have pets that are vomiting all the time or having diarrhea all the time, now some pets have chronic diarrhea and we manage that and they're comfortable and that's great. But if they're having enough vomiting and diarrhea that they're losing weight, so they're unable to get the nutrition that they need, then that needs to be addressed. And something else with that is that's messy, that's unpleasant. So if they're having accidents in the house, and the owners are getting stressed about that, and medication is not helping, then we really need to consider whether we would want to live with those same symptoms. You know, vomiting all the time and having diarrhea all the time and not being able to to consume or keep food in their body, that's miserable. And so I know if I was vomiting every day and having diarrhea every day, I would be questioning whether I really wanted to stay around on this earth. So we need to, to look at that and kind of ask ourselves, would we want to live the way that our pet is living? And if the answer is no, then we either need to address that with some hospice and palliative care, or we need to consider saying goodbye. Well, that's perfect. So eating being um, number one on your list, I love to eat and mm-hmm. food. Food is a joy. And food so is I, my friend. it is, I say I work out so that I can eat. Me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> you too. Oh um, yeah. I own so, a bike so that I can eat cheeseburgers. That's how yeah, that works. Exactly. So <laughs> But I think dogs are that way, too. I mean, I have a few patients that are not really food motivated, but I would say for the most part, if you find the right food, most dogs really love to eat. And I also am not a big fan of throwing up. I hate to throw up. So if if I have a stomach virus and nothing can help me and it it just went on and on and on. That would be a quality of life issue for me. So I think what you're saying is that it might be for your dog, too. Definitely. And and boy, we are peas in a pod, aren't we? Every time we do a podcast, we find out we're exactly alike. I'm severely emetophobic or vomit phobic. So anything I can do to avoid vomiting, I'm I'm right there. The other thing I want to bring up real quickly is that some people will tell me, well, he's not ready to be euthanized because he's still eating. And a lot of my canine patients go out. I mean, I put them to sleep and they've got food in their mouth because I usually spoil them rotten on their last visit and they get to eat whatever they want. 
So don't use that as your yardstick um, because there there's plenty of distress and suffering that can happen even if a pet is still eating. And so, you know, it's definitely a quality of life issue if they're not eating, um, especially if they're nauseated. If you notice that they're drooling or licking their lips a lot, um, going to the food dish like they really want to eat, but then turning away. That's not to say that they have to be euthanized for that. But if they're on all kinds of medications to prevent that from happening and they're still struggling, you know, I can imagine for a dog being unable to eat but still be hungry would be absolutely lousy. Um, Because I know if I was hungry for a cheeseburger but could put it in my mouth, I'd be really sad. So we need to make sure we understand that appetite in either direction isn't an absolute reason for euthanasia. But we do need to know that they can go out still eating. And for me, that means they're kind of in that zone between too early and too late. And we haven't let it get to the point where they just aren't eating at all. Um, And a lot of my dog patients, end-stage arthritis is the reason we're putting them to sleep. And often they have a fantastic appetite because their body from the waist down that's having a problem, the rest of them is doing just fine. So we're two peas in a podcast because that had to be said, right? Um, Oh, I love it. I love it. (laughs) All right. So, um, yes, I think that eating is a joy for me and for dogs, a lot of dogs. But I have a basket full of goodies for all my patients and even my my end of life visits. We ply them with goodies and sometimes they're eating them. And that doesn't mean that we're wrong to make that choice. So I'm glad that you pointed that out because I think that that is important. So you said something else and I would say it's probably number three on your list. They should be clean and dry. So can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Sure. So dogs, if they're well-trained, you know, they typically do well and don't have accidents in the house. Some do. I have dachshunds, so so we still fight with that occasionally. But, But they know they're not supposed to go to the bathroom in the house. So if they are unable to control and they're urinating on themselves or having bowel movements on themselves and they're getting dirty, especially our big dogs, you know, a 90 pound dog, it's really hard to get them up if they're having trouble walking and clean them. And sometimes even cleaning them is painful. I recently had a hospice patient that one of our main quality of life issues was that she absolutely despised having a bath because it hurt to have a bath. And that was one of the owner's lines in the sand. If we can't get her comfortable enough to have a bath and stay clean and dry, then we're going to have to consider euthanasia because they knew that she just hated being dirty and smelly, but she also hated the opposite of having a bath. So we also know, you know, in people, bed sores, urine scald, they can actually urine, if they sit in it long enough, can burn their skin. So these are serious quality of life issues and they don't want to be dirty and messy. And, you know, we all think about if if we were stuck in bed and unable to, to get up and use the bathroom and we were going to the bathroom on ourselves, that would be very distressing. And so it's distressing for for our pets often too. And we do have ways we can keep them clean. There are ways to keep them dry. But that's one of of my big quality of life issues. They need to be comfortable. And sitting in urine or stool is not comfortable. And I think there's an owner component too. And I tell people all the time, you know what? Your dog wants you to be happy too. If you cannot physically keep them clean with your schedule or your physical limitations, then that's a place where... I think your dog wouldn't want you to suffer either. Yes. And if you think about it, if you're working all day and I work all day, you work all day and your pet is sitting at home and they don't have the ability to move around. You know, we have these big dogs that are down in the rear and they don't walk well. You know, if they do get up and fall and hurt themselves, are they going to be sitting for eight hours in pain? 
because no one's going to come check on them. If they are sitting in urine or stool and can't get away from it and have to sit in that smelly mess for hours at a time, those are times to consider that maybe the kindest thing for them would be to let them go. You know, we certainly don't expect you to quit your job and stay home with them all the time. But some diseases, if we're going to to do hospice on them properly, would require that. And it's okay to say, I can't do that or that's not the right thing for my family. Also, you know, if your pet can't get up and go to the food dish or, you know, if their leg gets tangled in a blanket and they can't resolve that, that is very unpleasant. People in hospice care, their autonomy is very important to them. The ability to make decisions about their own body is really important. The other big factor is boredom. If your pet sits in a bed all day long, I mean, if they're snoozing and they're elderly, that's fine elderly pets sleep a lot. But if they're sitting in their bed all day long, I mean, that gets boring. I get cabin fever if I'm if I stay at home for more than like a day or two without going out. I can't imagine these pets that do nothing but sit in the bed day after day after day. And I just attended a lecture at the AVMA conference where they talked about how boredom actually intensifies feelings of pain and anxiety. So that's something else to consider. If we can't enrich their lives, then maybe it's time for them to go so that they don't have to sit day after day being bored or uncomfortable. And I think people feel bad and feel guilty that they can't quit their jobs and stay home, but that's not realistic. And your dog doesn't want the amount of stress that would be created by you quitting your job. Your dog wouldn't want that. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I wrote an an article, but it's actually a handout that I give all of my clients about what to expect after your pet passes. And in it over and over again, I say, you know, if you can sleep through the night because your pet is gone, enjoy that. Your pet loves nothing more than taking a nap. So if they can give you that, I'm sure they would want to. That's something, you know, maybe we can put together for your listeners um, that they can have access to that, that article. But, you know, your pet doesn't want you to suffer for them and they don't want to suffer for you either. So I think it's okay if they're suffering on either side that we can't alleviate. It's okay to say goodbye. Uh, I tell people all the time, there are plenty of things that are worse than death. And and we as humans, especially here in the United States, feel like there's nothing worse than death, but but suffering is far worse. And so if we can let them go and, and avoid that suffering, it's okay to say goodbye a little early. So you said something else that is on your top five list, the things that they love and the things that they hate. Can you go into that a little bit for me? Sure. Um, perfect example is my dachshund uh, who had cognitive dysfunction. He loved me. This dog was on my lap, in my face, trying to lick my nose with his stinky dachshund breath all the time. And with the cognitive dysfunction, one of the things that happened was he didn't want to be touched, um, not just by me, but by anyone. And it got to a point where he would actually nip at me if I tried to touch him. Now, he was on pain medication. I knew we had, because he was old and arthritic and he was a dachshund, he has a bad back, but I was treating all of that. So he just, part, you know, the part of his brain that loved me wasn't there anymore. And so I knew that that change was, was a biggie. I also knew when he quit you know, barking when people would knock on the door, certainly he couldn't hear them all the time. And so that was part of it. But even when he figured out they were in the house, usually he'd give people a good talking to before he'd go lay down and he just didn't care anymore. So the things that they love and hate, if they stop that, if they loved playing with the ball and now they don't play with the ball anymore, okay, is that due to pain? Is that due to disinterest? And some of these elderly pets who can't get up and play, 
um, even just rolling the tennis ball to them and letting them play with it in their mouth and then taking it away and then rolling it back, you know, you're playing fetch with them, but they don't have to run and hurt themselves. So I think that that enrichment of things that they really enjoy, we've got to know, you know, what are the top five things they enjoyed when they were younger? If they don't do any of those things anymore, let's look into that and see, is there a way we can modify it? If they can't go for a walk, can we tuck them in a wagon and take them for a roll? My dachshund loved to go in his stroller. I would stroll him around the park when he couldn't walk anymore so that he could sniff all the sniffs and see all the things. So there's plenty that we can do to enrich their lives. We just kind of tend to forget about it and assume that if they gave that up, they just don't want it anymore. But it may be a a little more serious than that. So maybe looking into are there things we can do to make these things to give them back the things that they love? But if not, then it's a quality of life issue, I think. Is that is that what you're saying? That's correct. Yeah. If they are changing their behavior that much, that things that they absolutely love, they don't care about and things that really got them riled up, they don't care about. That's a signal that something big has changed and we need to look into it. Well, I'm really sorry about what happened with your dog because it would break my heart if my dog didn't love me. I mean, that must have been such an awful time for you. But, you know, I think that some of the experiences that I have with my own pets make me a better veterinarian and make me a little more empathetic. And I think that you have taken that and and turned it for good use. Oh, definitely. You know, cognitive dysfunction is probably one of my most hated diseases in dogs because there's so little that we can do about it in late stages. But because I went through this with my own pet and I missed it, you know, as a veterinary professional, I missed that this was going on because he just was sleeping so much and I didn't pick up on it because I'm home every day and I see him every day. And I threw myself into what can we do? And even though he was fairly late stage by the time I noticed, I was able to make some modifications to his diet and and other things to actually bring him back a little bit of quality of life. And so I got some more time with him and it gave me time to kind of process. So that's one of the places where I'm really good at at talking to owners about it because I have been through it. I know how excruciatingly painful it is. Um, especially once you allow that bond to be broken. That's a horrible feeling. And thankfully, I've forgiven myself for that for the most part. And I realized that we did our best by him and and we did the best we could. And I know he would forgive me if given the opportunity. Um, And so that's helped me to counsel clients that maybe they want to consider sooner rather than later if they're in the zone with a pet with cognitive dysfunction, you know, kind of knowing what to expect is huge. And so if there are things that you absolutely have a line in the sand that you want to avoid, talking with a veterinarian who really knows about the the progression of the disease is super helpful so that you can avoid the things that you don't want to see. So I'm going to take a quick break and we'll come back and wrap up the five ways to know when it's time to say goodbye. So we'll be right back. It's not just a sneeze. It could be the pathway to disease. Your dog is at risk for contracting dog flu. That's why it's important to vaccinate your dog for dog flu. Get your dog vaccinated today. Visit dogflu.com for more information. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs. And we have 
sort of a sobering topic today, but something that really, really needs to be discussed. And Dr. Sharib, Wissan and I have been talking about the five ways to know when it's time to say goodbye. And we talked about eating and how much she and I both like that. And your dog probably likes it too. We've talked about keeping your food down, not vomiting and having diarrhea and reaching a point where those medications really aren't making an impact. And that pets like to be clean and dry. And that can depend on what the owner is able and willing to do. And your dog wants you to be happy as well. And whether or not your dog is able to do the things that they love or even experiencing the things that they hate. So the last thing, Dr. Boisson, that I really wanted to hit, and I think it's it's super the culmination of all of this, is you said that you would like for the dogs to have more good than bad each day. Can you go into that some? Certainly. So we, again, we kind of, when we we live with these pets all the time, we don't notice things because they happen so gradually. And I think we get to a point where most clients, I think, call me when they get to where the dog is having good hours in the day, but not even full good days anymore. And so I think thinking about that as your pet ages, what is a good day for your pet? And kind of listing those things of what makes a day good? What does he really enjoy? And as you see these things drop off, um, not just to wait for them to drop off and then euthanize, but to talk about your vet or talk to your vet about these things a little bit sooner. But we want them to have more good times than bad. I think all of us want that for our own lives. And so if you, you know, if they're sleeping a whole lot, you know, sleep is, is okay if it's if it's restful and they're not agitated or anxious. I think that's fine. But there may be a reason for that, that, that they're uncomfortable and they're trying to hide from pain. So we just need to make sure that we don't take their happiness for granted. If they still get so excited when you come home and they want to be petted and loved and they still enjoy going for, for walks, even if they're a little shorter, then I think we're doing okay. But we need to address the things that make their, their quality of life poor And I think a lot of times we just, like you said, stick our heads in the sand and hope for the best. And then when our pet is only having one or two good hours in a day or just a few good minutes in a day, then we're calling. And by then it's at the point where where we really don't have a lot of options except extreme hospice care or euthanasia. And and sometimes even those pets, I being a hospice vet, I can always come up with something to do. But often I get to that point and, and I just I wish they had called me sooner because I could have helped and maybe given them some more time. So you had something that I know that you do that I want to share. You said that when you were going through an end of life experience, you made a list. So can you tell uh, my dog lovers a little bit about your list? Yes. When I was preparing to lose my my little dachshund, he was eating like a little pig, but he was having some serious pacing at night and and issues that come with cognitive dysfunction. And so when I'm going to lose a pet, I have to talk to myself like I talk to my clients because I am terrible. I am just a freak out mom and I suddenly forget everything I know about veterinary medicine. So the hospice vet hat goes on and I talk to myself in my head and say, okay, you know, are you meeting all the quality of life issues? I'll take my own quality of life quiz on my website and see how my pet is doing. But with my dachshund, it was hard because he was still so interested in food. And he really, his brain was his his main problem. You know, he had a little bit of back pain and stuff, but nothing I couldn't handle with hospice care. And so it was hard for me to make the call. And so I made a list of all the things he would be missing if he wasn't here tomorrow. And that was the good and the bad. And It broke my heart, but the only good thing on the list was two bowls of food. 
because he didn't love my husband and I anymore. He didn't want to be near us. He paced all the time. He didn't play with his toys. He just didn't do any of his normal behaviors. And I kept him going because I hadn't sat down and really thought about what brought him joy in life. And he got pleasure from eating his breakfast and eating his dinner and any treats in between. And that was it. And that's no life at all. And so that was finally what, what got my husband and I, you know, to go, oh, wow, you know, we've really, this has gone on too long and we need to, to say goodbye. So you mentioned that on your website, there is a quiz. Is that what you said? Yes. So my website is hhphospice.com or helpinghandspethospice.com. And under the quality of life tab, there are the, the seven things that we, we talked about for my bare bones minimum quality of life. And then underneath that, there's a longer kind of quiz that has all kinds of symptoms. Um, you are welcome. Any of your listeners are welcome to go there and take the quiz and send it to me. I'll be happy to talk to you in general terms about your pet. Um, or just to take the quiz and kind of get that list and see, wow, you know, that's a lot of stuff and print it out and take it to your veterinarian and tell them these are the things I'm noticing that my pet is having trouble with. What can we do about them? And I think putting things on paper, we're so emotional about our pets. I think really kind of pros and cons, writing things down. And I tell families, everyone in the family should take the quiz separately because I'm amazed at how differently people interpret how their pet's behaving. And it helps me to help them to know, okay, they agree on these issues, but these issues they disagree on. So let's delve into that deeper. And what is your wife seeing that your husband's not seeing or vice versa? So we can all get on the same page. So I think an objective assessment can be really helpful in, in deciding what's going on. And you mentioned that some owners kind of have a line in the sand if she doesn't want to chase her ball or she doesn't want to eat her breakfast or whatever. And so things like that, questionnaires and communication with your veterinarian can help you draw your line in the sand, I think. Definitely. And lines can change. You don't, you know, it's not set in stone. But, you know, for instance, I have clients that have their own medical problems and they say, you know, I have a large dog. If I get to the point where I have to lift him up off the floor, then I can't do this anymore. And I think that's really that's really good to know what your limitations are, because certainly your dog would not want you to end up having to have back surgery because you had to haul them up off the floor because that can be painful for them, too. So if it's painful for you and painful for them and pain medication isn't helping, then it may be time and, and that's OK. I think our own limitations, whether they're financial or emotional or time or physical, I, I think we really need to consider that because we tend to be selfless with our pets and want to do everything for them. But sometimes that really is detrimental to us. And our pets are here so that we can love them and they can love us and we can bring each other mutual joy. If we're hurting each other, then we need to really consider whether this needs to go on. Well, I have so much enjoyed talking to you. I think that this information is going to help a lot of people. I think that I want everybody to know there's not a perfect time because every dog is an individual and every pet owner is an individual. So if you can use the things that we've talked about to kind of help you decide your own and you know that there's not really a wrong answer and there's not really a perfect time, I really think that that should be our parting gift that we give you all. Do you have anything else that you would like to add, Dr. Boisson? No, I, I think that's it. I just, I feel for pet owners because I am one and I just know how hard this decision is. And, and I know so many of them say I'm not strong enough or, oh, I was too weak to make the call or I waited too long and they beat themselves up forever. There is a zone between too early and too late and it's a very big zone. And even the too early and the too late are subjective. 
So don't be hard on yourselves. You know, you are trying to do what you're, what you need to do for your pet. And every decision you're making is being made out of love. And you can't go wrong when you're doing that. So we just need to make sure we're addressing their quality of life issues. And if they need pain medication or they need something to help them be more comfortable, that we provide that. And if we can't or we won't or there's, the pet won't take the medication, that we say goodbye rather than, than letting them be in distress. But, but take it easy on yourself. This is hard for everyone, including trained professionals. Yeah, that's a perfect closing statement because it's definitely hard for me. And I know it has been hard for you and it will always be hard. It's always going to be hard. But communicate with your veterinarian. Look up Dr. Buisson's website so that you can see her little checklist and make your own list of the good things and the bad things that your dog might be missing if he or she wasn't here tomorrow. That's really helpful. And I think that that's where I'm going to close. So everybody will remember it. So thank you, Dr. Buisson, for joining me today. I really love this. Me too. Thank you for having me. Also, I'd like to thank all my dog lovers for tuning in to Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And as always, thanks to our amazing producer, Mark Winter. I want all my dog lovers to go out and raise the rough. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.